This is Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Here's your host, Lockie Wills. G'day, hello and welcome to another week of Sports Cutting Edge, all for the Australian Sports Technologies Network, powering sport through innovation. You can check them out at astn.com.au. On the show today, another huge one. We've got one of the all-time greats of Australian sport, two-time world champion netballer, and now the head of female cricket at Cricket Victoria, Sherelle McMahon, is on the show. As well as that, we have one of the most dynamic operators in the Australian sports industry across the past 25 years. Andrew Walton is on the show. And the mighty Hayley McAdam from 3KND Indigenous Radio is back this week profiling soccer superstar Lydia Williams. That's all ahead of us. Up first, Sherelle McMahon. Uh, great honour now to be joined by one of Australian sports' greatest ever, two-time world champion netballer, and now the head of female cricket at Cricket Victoria, Sherelle McMahon. Welcome to the show. Hello. So great to talk to you again. Oh, it's great. And we love having you on as a regular. Honestly, it's a, it's a huge honour for the show and for the listeners to get to hear you chat about all things all things sport, women's sport, and specifically uh, with the, the role you've got at Cricket Victoria. You're doing huge things there. Hey, before we talk about the present and the future, let's just reflect on the past just quickly here. So I, this article just came up on the Herald Sun, Daily Telegraph, Courier Mail, all those uh, publications. So <laughs> the Sports Australia Hall of Fame, which is the holy grail of Australian sport, which considering our nation is sport so obsessed, then this is really the holy grail of the country. Yep. They've listed the top 20 moments of all time. And you are in the top 20, which is bloody huge. I mean, it's uh, richly deserved. And they're getting people to vote on their favourite of all time. So I encourage all the listeners to jump on all those uh, publications or Sport Australia Hall of Fame, and you can select which one's the best. Yes, and you say you, and you're talking as though it's some sort of moment that I didn't individually, which is obviously not the case in my netball career. There was um, a a beautiful team around me, a very successful, highly skilled team around me in 1999 when Mm. uh, we were able to win the World Cup by just that last goal, which you're right, I did shoot, but there was only that very small moment in time. and that was it was an amazing time um, for for all of us who were involved individually, but I think more broadly because um, you know there were moments in netball's history in the past where uh, that it had be, started to get a bit more prominent, but it was it was really that moment. It was on Channel Ten. It was in prime time. So many people saw that, and it was for many people the first time that netball at that level kind of came on their radar so it was a big moment um not just for us as individuals and as a team um but just for the sport more broadly it's uh it's a good moment so i would encourage people to get on and vote absolutely well that's what i think we love about you as well because you're so humble you're instantly deflecting it to the team and the sport in general you know but i mean it's true and 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 that's right that that team you're with just tremendous that 99 world cup win but as this describes here 
A missed shot from the ferns with 20 seconds remaining allowed the Diamonds one final attack and Sherelle McMahon, present company, sank a pressure attempt to give the Aussies a 42-41 victory. I mean, that's the thing. You know, it's it's cometh the hour, cometh the woman, and you did. And, and as a very young, you know, I mean, you're so young, you're there at the very early stages of your career to get it done when it matters most i mean that's what sport's all about do you remember that the thoughts going through your head as you as you realize gee that's gone in <laughs> like, yeah i think? do although I, I probably remember more vividly the the shot that was missed by the silver ferns because that no. was right under the post and um that was going to take them one up and then it was their center pass to come next so you know in my mind I actually remember thinking that's it, we, we, we've lost. Yeah. And then, you know, Liz Ellis took that amazing rebound and, and the rest, as they say, is history. And um, it, it really, I kind of went back into just playing. I, I, I wasn't, it wasn't really front of mind that there was that short a time to go in that game, which, um, you know, I've had other situations since then where, where that was different. But in this moment, um, it was kind of just playing and then, the, the goal went through and we were getting ready for the next centre pass and then the umpire signalled full time, which that was the moment we realised that's it, we, we've won, which was amazing yeah. and incredible experience. I reckon. And it's a good lesson to everyone, never give up. Hey, uh, now, <laughs> the WBBL, just a magnificent tournament. Well, no, I mean, Perth got it done in the end over Adelaide. Uh, from a Cricket Victoria point of view, of course, um, if, you know, the Renegades, they fell at the second last hurdle. The Stars finished fifth on the table. The two Sydney teams down down the bottom, which is, I mean, Sydney, a powerhouse in cricket for a long time across, across uh, well, literally 150 years of cricket, but mm. uh, just struggling a little bit uh, this, this summer. Um, Cheryl, uh, first of all, as a fan, and then also from a Cricket Victoria point of view, how much did you enjoy the tournament? Um, what were your highlights? I mean, Harman Preet extraordinary. You know, uh, most valuable player, uh, yeah. 400 runs, 15 wickets, 18 sixes, just magnificent. Um, yeah, for you, what were the highlights? Yeah, so I guess for me, the, as a fan, as you say, there was some just some great hitting. I think what we've seen from the WBBL over the last few years is the style of play is just getting more and more exciting. There were some absolute screamer catches, um, some really big hitting, some big um, totals from individuals. Um, and that was really exciting for me just, just to watch as a sports fan. Um, and you're right, with Harman Precor coming over, um, really leading the charge of some of the couple of those Indian players who stayed on at the back end yeah. of their tour against Australia, that was so exciting. And I think um, for cricket here in Australia, a, a really great way to, to showcase what's happening around the world as well as this sport just mm. takes and bigger strides. So um, I loved watching her and was lucky enough to meet her after that um, game. I snuck across the border into Adelaide just as everything lifted right at the right time, which was amazing. Um, <laughs> and very humble. Um, and um, so that was really great to watch. But look, from a from a Cricket Vic perspective and um, with my hat on as head of female cricket here, um, it was it was great to see. You know, the Stars obviously had a little bit of a challenging tournament, but there was still some really good moments and some great development within that group. Um, and then, of course, the, the Renegades, who, you know, previously had, had had a couple of tough years. To see them really perform the way they did was, was awesome. And I think probably 
what they what we saw potentially at the end of the um, end of the tournament there was you know the result of 14 days of quarantine and not being able to be home in their own beds which um, you know yeah. some of their opponents were able to do and and I think it was just unfortunately for them they weren't just weren't able to get going in that final against um, the strikers who played from the very first ball if you remember what a great ball that was first ball of the innings took that wicket and um, really set them up for a great game and um, you know disappointing way to end but successful on many fronts um, for, for the renegades in particular. Yeah, definitely. Actually, just on that point, Cheryl, you know, what what advice do, did you have for the girls and, and, and just sort of as as a group with regards trying to deal with that challenge of, you know, the, the bubbles and, and as you say, for the for those Victorian players, you know, it's such a challenge. From your own experience in sport, I mean, how do you try to, I mean, as much as you say, oh, we don't let it affect us, how, how do you try and cope? Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, even for me, who's travelled extensively throughout my career, mm. I've never, never anything like the restrictions we see with the teams that are travelling in, in these times. So there's, there is lots of challenges. And I think, um, you know, for, from a team perspective, I'm a, um, a bit removed because the, each team has their own management side. So it's only kind of mm. small connections for me. But just making sure... Um, you know, the, the well-being is really considered for, and not just to assume that everyone's going to be okay and everyone's going to want to move through a hub-style environment in the same way because everyone is different. And one of the biggest challenges of that, once they got through their, their quarantine period, you know, they were pretty much living life reasonably free um, with a few, few different things, but they weren't able to go home. And, and that is a big yeah. thing. So when you're not able to uh, leave your work environment, whatever that is, and decompress in whatever way that you do as an individual, th that can be really challenging. And so they were away, I think it was for three months in the end. Um, and it is a long time to stay in that environment. So really the, the main things that we were talking to the players about were you know, as an individual, make sure you're doing the things that you like to do to de-stress, relax, you know, get some time yeah. away as much as they could within that environment um, and yeah. just to to connect and talk to people. Because although you're in all together, sometimes it can feel a bit isolating because you don't have those mm. normal life uh, things that you have. So they were the biggest things and um, not keeping them busy enough so they were... Um, you know, had had enough to do and were stimulated, but not so much that it was exhausting because that can happen as well. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's such a, just a, a, as you say, a tricky balancing act and a whole new set of challenges. Um, now, Harman Precourt, Jemima Rodriguez, another, as you say, the, the players from India, just tremendous. You know, Indian cricketers of, of, of all genders, you know, just play with such freedom, fearlessness. I just, it's, it's a, it is such a special part of the game. Hey, so Harman Precourt, she was named player of the tournament. And, uh, and then uh, she said, you know, this is really a time we need to get the IPL Women's League. This is the time. Let's seize this moment. Uh, if Sherelle, from your point of view, how big would it be? I mean, we've seen how the IPL in the men's has just revolutionised the game of cricket. You know, usually to, to make money out of cricket, you had to be, you know, out of 25 million, you had to be in the best 11 in Australia. IPL spreads the love so beautifully. For the women's game, like your key role is to promote women's cricket. This would be good news, I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and over the last few seasons, there have been a few 
kind of exhibition, female exhibition mm. matches in and around the IPL, but nothing um, on an official level um, like what we've seen with the men. And, you know, part of my uh, role here at Cricket Victoria is just to increase the opportunities for women and girls. And I think something yeah. like the IPL um, is, as it would be, a massive tick. I mean, not something that I'd have a hand in, but it would certainly, <laughs> it's just something, again, it's an aspirational thing. Uh, for those players yeah. as they're coming through to to see as as a pathway and as a possible as a possibility when they get to that real elite end and and that's not the be all and end all because I, there's many more people that play and enjoy cricket across the world that play in the IPL but to have that engagement that excitement yeah. it'd bring a lot more money into into cricket at the international level and that yeah. resourcing is a big part of. Um, you know, what you're able to do in that space and, and being able to build out a sport. So, um, yeah, it, uh, and, you know, you've got two, two of the big, a couple of the biggest names backing it in. Um, I, I think, you know, fingers crossed that continues to move down that path because I think it would be um, just an exciting thing to see some of our local players and players from right around the world playing in and, and having an opportunity to play in, in another competition. Well, that's it. And with 89 cents in the cricket dollar coming from India, like, wow, yeah. it would just be <laughs> yeah. just bloody amazing. Hey, uh, on, a, on a more uh, local front, so the WNCL, uh, the Women's National Cricket League, kicking off uh, very soon, actually, Thursday of next week. Uh, Victoria, take it on ACT at the Junction Oval, where you are, uh, City Power Centre. Uh, so head yeah. on down if you're in town and then uh, have a look on uh, cricket.com.au for right around Australia for your teams and where they're playing the finals on Monday. Uh, March 6, and then that leads into, um, you know, a huge, uh, well, really sort of autumn of cricket, really, for the women. I mean, it starts with the Ashes uh, late Jan, but then it rolls through February and then March, the Cricket World Cup, the Women's Cricket World Cup over in New Zealand. So it's going to be huge, huge times. Uh, for you, Sherelle, what's on the agenda for Cricket Victoria? Yeah, it, and it is. It's going to be a massive uh, period of time. And We've had um, we've got six contracted players here at um, on contract um, for Australia and contracted with Cricket Victoria, so which is great. It's so exciting to have so many amazing players within this program here. Uh, it has meant that they've had a huge program though. On the back of that India series, they've literally gone straight into the WBBL. Um, and so this next period of time is going to be a bit of a balance of, of everyone's loads. A bit of a balance of everyone's experiences just to see where they're at um, to give them the best opportunity to perform. So some of those Australian players will be playing within the WNCL. I've got a couple of games before Christmas and then we get going again kind of mid-January. Um, so depending on what the loads are and what their schedules like, it's really closely worked in with the Australian program and the Victorian program. Um, yeah, we'll see some, some great talent out there and, um, you know, I, I guess it's one of the challenges of sending players off into their different environments with WBBL. We've had players all, um, 17 of the 20 contracted players off in, in different uh, WBBL yeah. teams, which is, yeah, a great number to have. Um, and, you know, they've all had different experiences one way or another. So we've just literally today had a back to blue meeting with all the, uh, with all the staff and the players just to kind of, uh, reset and refocus back into this space to say, you know, everyone's had those different experiences, but let's pull back together yeah. now and um, go ahead with what we want to do for Victoria because uh, we want to get our hands on, uh, or, you know, continue <laughs> to, to push up and hopefully have some success in the not-too-distant future. 
Absolutely. Make sure their allegiances haven't been uh, sort of swayed by these other <laughs> exotic places that they've been uh, <laughs> camping in for the last couple of months. Uh, yeah. Now, what about for young girls listening and for parents that are thinking, oh, I'd love my daughter to get involved. What's the best way, Sherelle, for people, right, I mean, from a Cricket Victoria point of view, but even in other states, to get in touch and, and to find out what the opportunities are, whether you're five years old or 85 years old, how do you get involved in women's cricket? What's the best pathways? Yeah, well, there's some great information online um, through uh, the BBL sites, Cricket Australia, Cricket Victoria. There's heaps of information on there as to where you can connect. Um, but a great way to get your kids involved if you are interested is to uh, get involved in, in the blast um, from a really young age in the Woolworths blast and, um, you know, start to try and build their love and understanding of the skills that are involved in cricket. And um, it's actually, it's an interesting question because it's one of the things um, here in my role as a head of female cricket is um, looking at that whole pathway for girls in particular um, when they enter and how they would actually move through the pathway, regardless of whether they're someone who loves playing cricket and just wants to keep playing for the fun of it with their mates or, um, you know, with their club um, and their and their teams or whether there's someone who really wants to push through and, and have some, some great success. Um, they're, yeah, just working on that, um, making sure the pathway is really clear and those steps are there. Yeah. And so, you know, that, those are things. There's been a lot of great work done over the last um, period of time in particular. And cricket for females is just in its really early stages of growing and we want to continue to build out the number of people playing at all those different levels up the pyramid. Um, so there's, um, you know, hopefully people, if, if they are keen, can connect with, as I said, that Woolworth Blast or their, their local um, their local cricket club as they're coming through. Um, and, mm. you know, we're working on providing more and more opportunities for them to participate all the way along that pathway. Mm. Oh, fantastic stuff. Um, that's it. That Woolworths Blast, as you say, just for young kids to get involved. And it's great. The social interactions, health and fitness. I mean, all that sort of stuff. A, um, before we go, just quickly, I, I want to bring up one of the all-time greats of Australian cricket, who who probably until recent times has been something of an unsung hero, but there's huge efforts afoot to rectify that. A lady by the name of Betty Wilson, who was an all-rounder, a, a batswoman and an offie, off-spin bowler. Yep. The first player in the history of Test Match cricket, male or female, to make 100 and take 10 wickets in a single test and did it at the Junction Oval, believe it or not. Uh, incredible. And also, in that game, it took 7 for 7 in the first dig and uh, became the first woman to take a hat-trick in international cricket. Yep. And then second dig took 4 for 9, uh, made 100 on a green top after Australia got bowled out for 38. So And then you know made 100 in the second inning. So... Um, with Betty Wilson, what they're doing is is there's a huge um, push to get a statue of her, for her to be immortalised. It even has a hashtag, Betty in bronze, uh, <laughs> and in the MCG, where you've got all the, well, Betty Cuthbert, Shirley Strickland, Ron Barassi, Shane Warne, Don Bradman, and Betty Wilson. And, you know, I dare say that will get up very soon, actually, and uh, and be, um, you know, immortalised forever. Um, just a ripper. It's good to celebrate these the women, the pioneers of the past, eh? Yeah, it really is. It's such an important part of the history. And, you know, you look at some of her stats. She was born in 1921 and started playing at Collingwood in, when she was only 10 years old. So that goes to show, you know, I, I know we talk about, you know, women's cricket being, 
you know, undergoing a bit of an evolution at the moment, but it has a long, very rich history. Um, and yeah. we, we do need to remember that and we need to recognise, um, as you say, those pioneers who have gone um, before. And, you know, she travelled to England, played over there. Um, she was the first female cricketer inducted into the Sports Australia Hall of Fame back in 1985. And, and, and so, you know, I think um, in terms of recognising that history, all these things are really important. And um, from a more broad context in, um, in, in sport here in Victoria, I think there are three sports women who have a statue. Um, so you name two of them and um, do you know the other one? Uh, Mom, McMahon. <laughs> uh, the third one, oh, you got Taylor me. Harris Who's from, the... Taylor Harris. Taylor ah. Harris. So it actually is really yes. very, very light on. So um, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's a great thing. I think that there is is a push certainly in um, in in sport and and women's sport yeah. to really recognise those that have gone uh, before and achieved amazing things. And and Betty Wilson, she did some great stuff at the G. So what what a great recognition yeah. that would be. Well, absolutely, and and that's as you make a good point. She started playing when she was ten. There wasn't any Woolworths blast in Collingwood in nineteen thirty-one, so she just went down off her own accord and just started playing cricket. I love it. Um, yeah, very very cool. So hopefully, Betty will be up and immortalised forever. Um, Cheryl, you are one of Australia's greatest ever. You are in that Sport Australia Hall of Fame with Betty Wilson, who was inducted back in 85. I think you were inducted in 2016, I think. Uh, So around about then? Yeah, around about. Yeah. uh, So it's just a great honour to have you on the show. Cheryl, thanks so much for your time. I wish you and the fam a wonderful Merry Christmas um, and we'll chat in the new year. No worries. You too, Lockie. Thanks for that. You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. I'm very excited to welcome to the show, well, first and foremost, a really good friend of mine and someone who's a leading figure in the sports industry in this country and globally as well. Andrew Walton, welcome to the show. Uh, Lockie Wills, thank you for having me. This is a fabulous time we're going to spend together well i i I am excited the first 15 minutes before we push record was good so this can only get better hey your resume is amazing and i mean it's quite biblical so we can't read the whole thing but just to give people an insight what you're currently doing um which is some really important work the project delivery manager with disability sport and recreation working with the government to help breathe life into disability sport And, and you know sport and music for that matter and art are just so crucial to the lives of special needs people and to allowing them to feel loved, embraced, a part of it and able to flex their creative muscle. It's a beautiful thing that you're doing. Um, the show us you can play program. You've been there for about a year now. Also, yeah. you're, you're sort of a bit of a gun when it comes to being linked up with the businesses that want to get you on board. GM Sports, you work there in uh, consulting and training. The Brand Bar you're the people, people and culture manager. Esports is a huge thing for you. Uh, you're with big esports. Uh, you've also yeah. just been accredited by Microsoft as an <laughs> esports leader, which is pretty bloody cool. Previously CEO with Rostify. The big pappy in the career is Interact Sport. You founded Interact Sport the best part of 20 years ago, and it's gone on to be a Goliath in the space of sports statistics, live scores, 
aggregation and dispersal of data and information about sporting competitions. You've got the My Cricket and Live Score application with Cricket Australia right across the country. You are the stats platform for cricket in Australia and for that matter, in England. Yeah, you know, the fact that you signed up with the English and Wales Cricket Board is a huge deal. I mean, England, yeah, you know, that's the home of cricket and you're the and cricket is such a stats game and you're the one doing the stats. It's huge. Also with my netball and rugby link across so many different sports, it's a huge huge feather in your cap what you've been able to do with Interact Sport. You're ahead of the game. 2002 you started that and uh, 19 years ago I think to the month. So it's, it's amazing the fact you're ahead of the game and you're winning the game. Um, and then, of course, before all that, you worked with one of the biggest uh, multinational Australian success stories, Vizzy, and mm. you're a leading sales manager there. Mm. Uh, your cricket career and your coaching, we're going to get into that because that's huge. But I, I want to start, Waltz, with Vizzy. Mm. You know, working there as a young man in your formative years, what did you learn? You know, they say success begets success. Working in that environment, what did you learn and how have you yeah. brought those skills into the rest of your career? Yeah, probably one thing which really helped me a lot is, so just by way of background, I'm I'm, your, I'm half Italian Australian. So I'm your mm. classic Aussie wog from a different generation. <laughs> and, and my grandfather, um, Archie, God bless, no longer with us, but mm. he fought for Italy in the Second World War in the Navy. Yeah. They weren't a great team, Lockie. Well. And uh... um, anyway, after that, in 52, he came to Australia and was here for a year before he was able to bring his family over. Pure. And my mother was one of seven. Um, my mother was the third child. She married an Australian boy in, in Shepparton via mm -hmm. Preston. Mm -hmm. And in the 60s, uh, that was not, not really the done thing where this sort of intercultural, cross-cultural in, in a small country town. Mm -hmm. Yet that, I think, allowed me from a young age to recognise the, the importance of family and mm -hmm. the importance of of, of different cultures, meaning things to different different tribes. And the Vizzy part came, um, I'd, I'd been in Melbourne for seven years working in the steel industry and um, was looking for something different and was um, uh, applied for a position. It was a fairly innocuous sort of ad in the paper. And I've ended up in an office in Oxford Street, Collingwood, mm. in a large old warehouse uh, to be, I've been interviewed by the headhunter. And then I was said, oh, it's, it's with the Vizzy group with recycling. Um, need to go and meet Perry Zolfell, who's a HR manager, and Fiona. So off I wonder and go, mate. And Fiona was Fiona Gaminder or Fiona Pratt, Richard's daughter. Oh. And so Fiona was the one, and, and through her husband, Rafi, um, who's the who's the chairman of PACT Group now, PACT. So back then, um, they were sort of given the responsibility to develop the recycling component because the Vizzy group was basically three areas. It was mm -hmm. Vizzy board boxes, um, Coca-Cola, CUB, fruit. Ironically, uh, started in Shepparton when Aunt Ida Vizboard lent Richard's father the money to make cardboard boxes. And Really? Yeah. Yeah. So it started in Shepparton. Um but then as the, as the company evolved, so you had Busy Board, the cardboard boxes, then Busy Paper was the paper that went into the cardboard boxes, mm. and the recycling component was the raw material that would go into the paper to make the boxes. So a completely cycle, amazing mm. business. Yet I, I say because in my, in my time with the steel industry, I had I was very fortunate to spend some time with um, Avriel Fassi. Uh, I was a steel salesman, and Avriel Fassi from Alfassi Constructions, still around today, built Etihad Stadium as one of their major, major projects. Mm. Uh, past him, yet Avery was very, very kind to me. And he was the first first person that I really came into some really close contact with. Um, so myself being Italian, a lot of friends who were Greek, Turkish, Albanian, Maltese, yeah. but I'd never spent 
much exposure in the Jewish community and mm-hmm. Avery was Jewish. And I learned a whole lot about that and really embraced it. Mm-hmm. And he, he was very, very kind to me. And then um, that probably put me in good stead to understand the importance of family mm-hmm. within the Pratt group and the importance of relationships. And one thing which, which stands true is that you always make the effort to meet everybody you can because you will mm-hmm. never, never know in life when that person is going to be something for you or help you or be able to give you something that you need at that point in time. Um, and being able to observe the way that Richard Pratt worked over many years, it, the majority of the days, Richard's first port of call yeah. was the factory floor. Mm. So his driver, depending on what state he was in, he would be dropped off at the factory floor sometime between 5.30 and 6.30. The reason being, the rule was any factory we open is 24 hours. Yeah. And Richard would like to be there at that time in the morning for the factory crossover yeah. and he'd, he'd walk around and talk to the forklift driver and but but that um and that was really a really valuable lesson to to learn in my time there and i was very grateful for the exposure that, that, that the the family gave me in not only in melbourne but in brisbane and being able to spend some time overseas in the us and um it was an incredible time for learning where uh there was always a lot of encouragement about giving things a, a go and just a little story was that um, there was no real boundaries about if you wanted to invest in a piece of equipment or a new machine or a new factory there was no like limits or boundaries right. it was basically you could put your business case forward yeah. the fundamental rule was can we get a return within a year okay so um, it was a very um the word today is agile, if you like, but <laughs> <laughs> this was just a thing. This was what how they did business was they liked to continually talk about things, improve it, share ideas. Um, but also just to, uh, the good thing about Richard was encouraging to, to think globally. It's a big, yeah. big space. And this is before the internet. Yeah. This is, yeah. You have to actually go and do things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It all comes back to, to, to meeting people. So that was um, that was my sort of, yeah, really, uh, very fortunate sort of exposure being in that in that sort of space and working through different levels. Hmm. Well, and that's uh, you must have done incredibly well to rise up the ranks in the manner that you did. I mean, and to have that time in the US. I mean, they don't send mugs away for the big gigs, so that's that's all credit to you. Um, obviously, you embrace those lessons, those opportunities. What about uh, as a? It's amazing, you know. I look at your coaching career in cricket, and one of the most coveted roles anywhere in the world to coach a team would be the Melbourne Cricket Club. I mean, they're, they're one of the most sport, uh, famous sporting organisations across anything. You know, New York Yankees, the MCC in England, MCC here. To be the coach of the Melbourne Cricket Club is a huge, huge thing. You won a one-day premiership. You're a runner-up in the in the Premier Final. Yeah. Um, you know, also with Middlesex County Club in mm. England, you go there and pinch hit. Um, mm. With Paran over many years, Fitzroy Doncaster, Hawthorne, Monash. Uh, you've also got the... I'm going to, uh, pronunciation might not be great, but the Karnataka Institute of Cricket in Bangalore. Um, you can fix that up for me. K-I-O-C, uh, Bangalore. Yes, got the shirt on. K-I-O-C, I like that. <laughs> I can do that. Um, and you're also with the, the Cricket Australia a visually impaired team as well. Yeah. So tell us about why, because I think a lot of the core of what you do, you are a coach. You're someone who's a natural yeah. leader. Tell us about... When that started, was it as a young kid? Were you the one sort of helping everyone out? Tell us. Um, yeah, I think I probably was lucky that that uh, as a junior playing at Marupna, um, 
they were always very big on sort of once you turned 12, 13 and you were physically sort of capable that you'd start playing senior cricket as well because in a country mm-hmm. town um, in summer, yeah, you'd, you'd play in the morning and you'd play in, in, in the afternoon and had some wonderful mentors like John Gostray, John Gray, Graham Young. Um, and if you go to the country town, you'll see pavilions and rollers and sheds are named after all these <laughs> all these guys. Yeah. Um, but you learn things because uh, I did a paper round every morning from twelve from the age of 12 to 18. So I did, I did the Herald Suns, 110 Herald Suns and 10 ages on the bike at 5.45 in the morning. Yet most Wednesday mornings during the summer, um, it was my responsibility after I'd finished the paper round to turn the roller on in a wicket <laughs> at, at Brutner and, and as they say, you know, crack the seal. So we'd have a, you know, have a good, good deck because Bobby Barker's the, here you go, Lockie, how many hours a week turf wicket? You've played turf cricket. Uh, how many hours a week, ideally, should you roll a turf wicket for it to be in good condition, please? Well, whilst through your my cricket app, you'd have seen my statistics. Not so good. So I suppose you're not. I don't, you're not asking the right person. I I would have no idea as to that question. I, I'm going to pick ten hours, but it's probably a figure that's higher. But yeah, ten. That's no, about, about fourteen. Okay, about oh. fourteen. But ten hours. That's a good good get. And and yeah. and, and to, to get fourteen hours of actual rolling into a wicket, you've got to start on a, on a Wednesday. But you also mm. rely upon. Um, the, the volunteers in the community and people getting organised to make... This is before councils do this sort of stuff. This is back when you just had to do it yourself. Mm. So all those sort of habits and behaviours sort of played a role going through. Um, yeah. So cricket, very, very deep for me. I learned a lot of valuable lessons and, and relationships. Wasn't very good as a player, but just always wanted to front up and, and, and just do my bit. Um, and then moving to Melbourne, uh, which is... Uh, a bunch of us ended up at um, South Yarra Career Club, which... Mm was really odd because i mean south yarra you think of oh it's you know not you know different sort of part of town and it's where but the funny thing was it was it was a lot of us were drawn to play como park back then was a magnificent arena to play at yeah and the team the the, the group of players that were there through the 90s were fundamentally there because they either had a connection through uni blues footy club mm-hmm. um or the golden valley in some way they'd come from tatura shepherd and all maripna so there was actually, I think, at one point in time in the mid '90s, of the 65 players on the list, only two actually lived in South Yarra. Yeah, <laughs> everyone lived in Brunswick, Richmond, Carlton, sort of a, a, around the area. Mm. But we also had some. It's been some incredible people play there. So um, John Wiley, who's, mm. who's was played there, Gideon Haig still, Gideon Haig still plays there. Yeah. Um, Rod Mulliner, the voice of Triple uh, M football, Roddy yeah, Muller. Roddy yeah. still plays there. Uh, Chris Aitken, who played for Australian Second Eleven, who's the brother of Nicholas Aitken, who is Wilbur Wilde. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there's many, 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 many more. But um, that's where I sort of started. I, I started coaching, um, like club cricket, if if, if you like, and, mm. and being a, a senior player. And then uh, it wasn't. It was in the the, the turn of the century when um, the interact sport thing started, and trying to find a way to extend that, build relationships. And I had a passion for coaching. I stepped into premier cricket mm. and spent a number of years playing with Paran in the fourth eleven because I used to play next door. And then I went to Richmond Career Club for a number of years um, because I wanted to get serious about my coaching. And Richmond back then had uh, Steve Maddox was the was the club coach who had come out of St Kilda, but Premiership coach at Richmond. Uh, Ian Simpson, uh, Ian Simpson, who played in an unbelievably strong grade. He played in <laughs> the average Richmond first grade team he would play in would have at least nine players who'd played for Australia or their state. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, 
and Ian was the one who, and under his sort of tutelage, people like Paul Rifle, Gerard Clark, sort of, mm-hmm. sort of came through. Uh, Gavin Holland, who just retired from first 600 first class dismissals, and so being around these these people was just for me like, oh, how good's and it's a punt road. And I'm a tiger, so how good's yeah. all <laughs> how good's <laughs> how good's all this? Um, so during that, sort of spent a few spent a few years captaining the third eleven, and but being a, a quasi coach as well because uh, Maddo and Simo they handle the top end, and Richard Clifton, uh, amazing yeah. fellow Richard Clifton. Um, yeah, uh, he, he he would captain the fourth eleven. I'd captain the third eleven, and Dick would bring all the junior talent through, and we sort of made sure that after they were identified and pulled into the club, that that they didn't get lost in the middle. That they'd have a bit of a path, you know, a pathway. This is the way we used to do things back yeah. then. Um, and from that, just uh, yeah, the business started to expand. People started to recognise that yeah, online scoring is a thing, which we'll get into later. But on the yeah. coaching side. Um, Jason Armberger, I've been very fortunate that it's the relationships you meet through cricket. And, and in my early years coaching, uh, my first two years was Hawthorne Monash, then went to Fitzroy Doncaster, um, Paran, um, which was an amazing experience. And another, you know, even though everyone, MCC, incredible, yet Paran also, you know, Foundation Club, Bobby Parrish, Sammy Loxton, you got some amazing sort of people in, involved there. Um, had a year in the women's premier cricket, then around that, I'd started going to India every year in, in, in Bangalore. So I've been to India eight times, uh, eight times overall. Mm. Um, and then Middlesex was able to go there for a short period over one summer there through Chris Rogers, good mate who'd lined that up for us. Um, but the, you make you make all these great relationships as you go through. And then yeah, MCC after that, which was really um, uh, one of those times, Lockie, you know, when you go through life sometimes you think, oh, that's not that's not me. They're not going to choose me, but I reckon I have a crack just to just to see what happens and go through the experience. And mm. um, I think it sort of happened. I was in a pretty good space where I had probably a depth of experience to bring to the party. But it was a good timing for Melbourne because um, they were going through transition. And mm. I think there's probably a consistent theme in life in all the things that I've handled is that been able to balance um, transition, change even when it's sometimes uncomfortable and difficult, mm-hmm. but being you know, mindful and caring to all those involved and finding a way. And I suppose that the, the, the situation at, at Melbourne then was that um, Andrew Kent had been the, the captain and the coach for an enormous long time. Melbourne had a tradition where uh, the captain would also be the coach or the coach would come from within the club. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not MCC at all. I don't vote. I mean, I'm not MCC. I don't come from that part of town. I'm <laughs> not a member. Um, and, and coming from on the competitive side, on the outside, you were always taught, oh, you, you can't, you, you know, you hate, I, I don't, I do not hate them. But yeah, that was what you were taught. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't need any motivation when you're playing against the MCC. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I was really fortunate that Michael Scholling and David Crow ran, a, I thought, an excellent um, selection filtration period. And they were very grateful in that they gave me some clear direction as to how they wanted things to be. So I got to my final interview, bought out a 16-page plan, mapped out the season, the, the thinking, and how we would handle, um, okay, if Andrew's coming to the end of his decorated career, how do we handle that? And Michael Hill had just come back from interstate and was on that cusp where first-class career, not sure, you know, big bash. So yeah. things that needed to be handled, but overall, Melbourne still wanted to maintain a standard of being as good as they possibly could be, yet also – in with Dougie Patrick, make sure that all those young players come through. And at that point in time, um, Melbourne were just starting to see the fruition of Will Pukowski, as an example. Yeah. So this is 2016, 
Will had only played six games of cricket for Melbourne back then. Um, in, in first grade, he'd played some second grade and undeniable, undeniable talent. Yet his main focus then was just being the best player with the under-19s in yeah. the Victorian comp. And by the end of the season, he'd end up playing for um, Victoria and had mm. a few concussions in between. Yet um, that was the, the, the environment at Melbourne was just so, so stimulating and rewarding because um, – the, 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 the engagement of the volunteers was so high. People gave so much selflessly. Mm. And being able to draw upon people like Robert Templeton, you know, who one of the greatest keepers in this state ever, but barely played, you know, beyond beyond grade cricket. Mm. But, you know, Michael Sholley, incredible, incredible wisdom. Um, and then being able to tap into the Phil Halbishes or the Andrew McDonalds or the Brad Hodges mm. that just floated around <laughs> at, yeah. at various times. Um and it was really, it was a great testing ground because I then, from a accreditation perspective, um, was able to complete my level two and then do my level three with Cricket Australia, which takes you into a different sort of space again. So um, that's when coaching for me became more of a, sort of hit that threshold, Lockie, where I'd achieved with different groups elements of not just success on the field, but success in people and success in character and success in handling change and making sure that when it's your time to move on, which will happen, that happens. That what's there and left is in as good a position as possible. Mm. And you don't leave it in chaos. You don't leave it, you know, you don't leave behind emotional baggage and stuff, stuff like that. Because, you know, part of being a leader, um, yep, there'll be roles where you'll get sacked. That happens. Mm. That's just part of life. Or it might mm. not be working as it needs to be. Um, or there might be a need to change things around by way of personnel or direction, and you have to have some hard conversations. And I think, thankfully, as I've become, yeah, you know, gone through that that experience in life, you're able to draw on those different elements to put into place where where need be. Um, so, yeah, there's, and there's so much now that, that in, in business and with kids coming through and, and coaching disability space and, and coaching young kids. Mm you can draw back on those experiences so often. And the other thing to funny, it's funny, there's actually a group of us um, who are running around Brunswick street Fitzroy on a weekend, either coaching junior cricket or junior footy. Yeah. And the common thread amongst us is actually Melbourne cricket club. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> because we're now all dads. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and, and there might've been times back then where it might've been as a player against each other, or mm. there may have been other sort of, not conflicts, but just differences of opinion, difference of views, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's sport that brings us together, and that's um, that's incredibly important, and even more so. Uh, you know, the the work that that I'm very very fortunate to be involved with on the disabled space, and, and understanding that you know if we're going to really rebuild our community properly, mm-hmm. um, sport is so important. Not just for the what happens on the field; it's mm-hmm. just the sense of inclusion, Lockie. Yeah, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent. There's yeah. There's nothing like feeling a part of something, feeling like you belong, and that's what you're doing for so many different people. Um, what about interact sport, Waltz? Yep. I mean, it's one of the goliaths of, of Australian sports tech. The success you've been able to have. I mean, you know, every every bit of statistic that's recorded across Australia in cricket, in netball, in rugby is you, uh, and in England, you know, yeah. I mean, and Ireland for that matter as well, actually. Um, 
Tell us about that journey. Where did it start? The idea you you were you were ahead of the game, big time. You know, people wouldn't even look at a computer at that time, uh, yeah. but you were doing it. Tell us, how'd you well, do? Well, just for complete transparency, it wasn't just it was Peter and Dave McCauley, the two brothers, were were absolutely critical in making this happen. It was really their their technology skills that brought the um, the talking that we had amongst us into some sort of life on on the internet. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it really was a it was a it was a wonderful collaborative of, event where each was able to bring their own sort of different skill set and um i'd come back from so we were all playing cricket at south yarra um at Carver park been playing there for some time um pete was at melbourne uni doing computer engineering um dave i think was at the time he'd worked done some work for harvey norman but then had gone into the government department for a while and i just left physio i just it was 19 i just come back from overseas i'd followed the australian cricket team around 99 world cup teacher yep yep went to all the games it was there there in the tide match at um Edge oh. Baston, the final Lords, different different story, different day. But the point yeah. was that um, while I was over there for a the long time, um, you would go to like the walkabout pubs wandering during the week and you'd get the Time Out magazine. Mm. And in the Time Out magazine, you could get the AFL scores and that was great. But it was like, well, how if you've all these Australians wandering overseas, yeah, how do you know if Frankston beat Berwick or if <laughs> Hackenham beat Clyde or if Shepparton beat Lemnos? How do you work all that out? And the okay. internet was then coming through, obviously. Um, and you know, at our club, we were sort of. Uh, Dave was building a website for the club, which is typical. Here's some pictures, some news, some sponsors, logos. It was like, oh, can we put scorecards on there? And Peter developed a a, a, a product called Statman that we used each year as the coach. You'd, you'd pump in all the game details, and Statman would give you all the averages, best bowling, strike rates. It was just look, it was a it was an extended um, uh, spreadsheet table of sorts. Yeah. Um, but it was automated, computerized, and it followed the logic that data entered once it flows where it needs to go. Right. And so we sort of turned that from being a back-end thing into a front-end how to create a scorecard. And then we just went through the experience, Lockie, where, all right, if we're trying to put a scorecard on, well, there's two teams. How do we get both teams on there? They belong to an association. Um, we had a situation where there was four teams in the club, but there was two but there was two leagues we played in. So you could yeah. actually theoretically play on Saturday and Sunday in different teams. However, we didn't want to duplicate the record of a player. Um, also recognizing things from a data transition that if you bowl 7.5 overs, it's mm. not seven and a half. It's actually, yeah. yeah. So it's just a series of all these little things that we found um, were relevant in cricket. And the last thing was, sorry, we, we, we did the initial research. There was a hundred and there was 103, 104 associations in Victoria. Uh-huh. Yet there was nearly 40 different ways that a match result could be interpreted into a ladder. Right. Because okay. there was bonus points, um, percentage, mm. net run rate. There was no consistency. Not like, mm. so look, if you're playing football for New York and we travel and play Belgium, we play yeah. football yeah. and you win 3 0, well, it's three points for a win. That's, it's, that's universal. Goals difference. Yeah. That's the way it is. Yeah. Cricket, no. So, so right from the start, we were presented with all these amazing um, data path difficulties to work out this, this sort of logic. And we, Anyway, so we tested it with our own sort of local mercantile VTCA, mm. um, did an old-fashioned mail-out, did a mail-out to 130 different sort of contacts and friends, got about 30 responses back on some of the feedback questions, so I thought we had a thing. Um, and then it just became a, a series of just tracking down annual reports and AGMs and doing mm. town hall stand-ups, and for the next five or six years, um, just informing everybody we could personally by hand Yet in the back, sorry, person to person, yet in the background, trying to find a way into the governing bodies who just didn't have a real clue. Um, apart from one, yeah. West Australian cricket. Um, right. So at the time, there was there was two two really good 
I suppose, forces of nature. One, um, Kath White was the CEO, and as a female CEO of an Australian sport in 2002, ex-school teacher, she was pretty mm. innovative and forward-looking. Mm. The other one was Ted Hussey, God rest his soul. So Ted, father of David and Mike. Yeah. Um, so David, I was playing at Pran at the time, and, and we, we started at the same time, different levels, of course. But um, Ted had just retired from from work. He was Wanneroo Career Club secretary. Um, we'd had a few conversations on the phone. I walked him through the program. And he's gone, oh, how good is this? This is great. I can get the bang. So went to Perth with Pete one day and Ted opened all the doors for us and people listened to us and that sort of took off from there. So um, over the next five or six years, we had uh, associations from Bunbury to Penrith, Nepean, Manly, Central Coast, Warrnambool, Shepparton, um, Gippsland, Bansdale, Cairns, um, who were receiving no clear direction from, and this is not being critical, but no mm. clear direction from Cricket Australia or the state governing body and just finding their own way. Mm. Um, and yeah, and we found that you know when it comes to cricket scorecards, Lockie, people do actually like that sort of stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> it's the stats game. I mean, it's people are religious about their statistics. Yeah. And, and and full th- credit, full credit to to you know the quality of engineering that Dave and Pete put together. To just mm. to just to think through that. So this was a website. This was initially a web platform for a back end function. Yeah. That then became a front end service. That then transverse. Sorry, then transitioned into. Uh, D- devices, so iPads when they first came out, yeah. um, and then into a native mobile environment, and now includes live scoring and live streaming. So um, they did an amazing job in that, and we were able to sort of sell that out to the rest of the world. So the ECB, um, the ECB was a wonderful experience because uh, 2000, I think it was 15 when they sort of first started, and mm-hmm. um, it was good timing for the business because up until then it was we'd sort of just grown with it and because we were still playing or coaching or involved we had like a front row seat as to what needs to happen mm. the ecb were very specific obviously different scale to australia mm. yet they were very very specific that it had to be mobile first so which might sound funny now but 2015 mm. there was only an iphone and android there was no yeah. like google phones motorola's yeah. all, all that all that sort of stuff and um so but they were very adamant that it had to be native mobile driven and that really helped internally the um, the design and focus uh, develop that path, which has enabled the product to get where it is to today. And then just to just to finish it off, um, yeah, the business uh, so Interact Sport was sold this year to to Sport Radar, mm. um, which was yeah you know, a, a wonderful way. Um, Sam and the team handled that negotiation absolutely amazingly well, and a lot of a lot of goodness was shared with a lot of people um, from from the journey and. So as of as of today, Sport Radar own own the business, mm-hmm. and um, and it's, it's purely cricket focused. Yet during the during the experience, though, we did we did build platforms for Tennis Australia, Netball Australia, mm. uh, did a basketball live scoring, AFL, rugby, football Australia. Um, some were some were good, and some some were failures. Um, none have worked better than cricket because cricket, to their credit, and this is to people like Damien De Bowen. And when this starts, so just a, one little quick story. So in 2007, when Cricket Australia became my cricket, Ricky Ponting was still the captain of Australia then. Yeah. The only way you could find Ricky's junior record was if you physically got in a plane, went to Launceston, walked in the <laughs> Mowbray Career Club, and you pulled off the shelf the scorebook. Yeah. <laughs> However, at that time, and it's a scorecard that I used in the, in the pitch demonstration, um, in the under-19 carnival, there's Victoria, New South Wales. Um, Victoria... Aaron Finch, Peter Siddle. Um, Aaron Finch was the was the captain, but that was Aaron Finch from Colac through Geelong playing for Victoria. 
Yeah. That was Peter Siddle from Morwell through mm-hmm. Dandenong. Mm-hmm. On the New South Wales side, you had players like Steve O'Keefe, John Hastings, Usman Kawaja, Dave Warner batted number nine. Mm-hmm. He was bottom, bottom age. But all these, the point is that these players, their junior career was now online. Yeah. So, so this generation who's now finishing, yeah. so Finchie's example, he, his whole career you can fi- you can find his whole career whatever whatever game he's played um, on a central platform, and that. So to bring it into modern age, my under tens at, at Edinburgh, yeah, if their game's not being scored live, they can't <laughs> see what's happened at. You know, 10.49 on a Saturday morning, they're, they're going bananas because they're also then, then checking the other games as well. That's of what course. Because they, yeah. they believe it's, it's there. So um, really, really, you know, it's so grateful for the experience. It, it's taken me to so many parts of the world. It's allowed me to have so many conversations um, across the sport in, in, in different ways and connect so many friends as well, mm. uh, particularly the India side. So selfishly, selfishly, um, I get brought across to the academy in Bangalore apart from the last two years, but the previous eight from April to May, I say selfish because I go in the IPLs on. So it's yeah. a great, great time of year. Yeah. Um, and, and the IPL is a great way to connect. I also tend, most of the years I've been, I have taken somebody with me who's never mm. been to India before for the experience. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've been able to connect so many people just from purely being there. Uh, and the bottom line, cricket, cricket and sport, you really can, you know, if you want to, you can get to meet anybody. Totally. Yeah. Well, you can have a conversation. You can pull out a scorecard, and there'll be a story there, story there somewhere. And mm-hmm. thankfully, we're not writing down on paper anymore, and um, yeah. <laughs> faxing it off to some secretary who's <laughs> yeah. who's getting overwhelmed at the fax machine. Mate, it's extraordinary. You, you know, you you took you and the Mac brothers. You took mm. cricket into the modern age, the digitalization of stats and scores. That's an incredible achievement that will live on forever until it, I don't know, who knows what's next. Well, maybe we'll talk about the metaverse a little later. Um, <laughs> so now what about eSport? I know eSport yeah. is a big passion of yours. As I said, I mean, this is bloody cool as well. Microsoft have just um, accredited <laughs> you as an eSports leader. I mean, that's not that's that's nothing to be sneezed at. Um, tell us about eSports, your passion for it, yeah. and your involvement as we speak. Yeah, it's a, it's a little story. You sort of go back in life and you realize that something has actually happened for a time that's triggered something later on. So yeah. um, so I have four sons. So my two older sons, Luke and Byron, Luke's 31, Byron's 27, and the two youngest are 10 and, 10 and 7. So Luke, when he was 31, so 15 years ago, um, when it was right in the middle of the whole interact sport thing going on, I just started career coaching and life was sort of like pandemonium. He was 16, 17, and he'd sort of played hockey and footy and, you know, yeah. um, he's sort of, age group now would be blokes like Nick Vloston, Josh Caddy, yeah. these, sorts of, these sorts of things. So, but in that space, um, he wasn't quite enjoying his sport. Oh. And um, he got heavily involved in World of Warcraft. Fantastic. With a few of his mates for the hockey club. Yeah. Um, I had no idea, mate. I had no, like we had the, we had the Sega Beggar Drive at home with Sonic the Hedgehog and, <laughs> and, and FIFA. Yeah. And I got that bit. Yeah. But this World of Warcraft, I'm going, I've just got no idea where you're going with all this. And I find it, look, for, probably for nearly, I, I lost him for two years. I mean, not, not like yeah. not, not lost him, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was immersed. Yeah, lost him for two years. Um, so that, that, that happens in life. And then five or six years ago from from now, um, mm. we sort of start seeing this, this 
esports becoming a thing somewhere and it's not just kids playing on consoles anymore they're playing in state of the arena i'm seeing um uh, starcraft in korea and you're seeing all these stadiums and this stuff going on and you're hearing about this noise and reading more articles so just um was able to step a bit deeper into it and had some experiences with Riot Games, with League of Legends, and saw the AFL were moving into it, and all of a sudden sort of started to pick up the interest and where can this go? And then in more recent times, uh, two youngest sons here, they're both Minecraft fans, Roblox, Brawl Stars, and so on. It's part of their life. But mm. you sort of look at that. So on esports, there's two sides. Esports e is the competitive side. Yeah, That's where you can go, compete as a team for prize money, and that can be in a stadium. That can be a Blacktown RSL. There's comps yeah. on anyone everywhere. But there's also the social gaming side, which is no different than, like, you and I go and play three-on-three -three hoops yeah. out in the park, and which is with our mates, but we're doing something we're connected in in, 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 a, in a way. Totally. Um, did a bit of sort of research with a, some sporting, you know, um, let's say gener generation coming through and found mm. that outside of the elite sport, yeah, they were playing Rainbow Six or Call of Duty or Fortnite and, and while they're playing it, some some cases, recreation, learn new skills, challenges my responsiveness, um, or I want, want to compete. Like uh, a classic case is Mitch Robinson, mm, mm. Brisbane Lions Carlton player. Mm. You know, Mitch has got this whole separate persona with um, Counter-Strike, and he's, he's coached by the Chiefs. He played. Like he's a genuine – people gravitate towards Mitch Robinson um, not because he's a footballer, but because he actually he, – he's a, he's a gamer. So yeah. there's – there's this sort of new sort of thing emerging. I didn't want to miss out with my kids sort of what was coming through there because then also seeing that um, there's so much, so many digital skills hmm. that are relevant in school that they're learning that might take them into gaming. But if I pulled off uh, a League of Legends franchise Chiefs and I put on Collingwood Footy Club digital team, yeah. it's the same skill. It's the same skill set. You're just doing it for a different, different yeah. environment. Hmm. Um so I was fortunate enough where you know, I've come into contact with a guy called Chris Smith, and I sort of, you know, Chris is like the Eddie Maguire of, of esports, where he's mm -hmm. done so much. He's been a player, run events, um, but with with Chris's case, he um, he's trying to make a business out of it on education, competition, and with a future focus and content. And so I've, I've sort of been in the background helping out by allowing conventional sport find ways, understand, develop how eSport or gaming fits in. And probably one example of that is the Australian Open um, for the previous couple of years had run a fortnight competition hmm. on the Saturday night before the men's final. Hmm. And a fortnight competition in an arena, great sense of time not being used, yet they approached the fortnight competition like your typical pro-am, imagine a golf tournament, yeah, pro-amateur. And you can put up some prize money and off you go. Yes, there'll be, this, there'll be some serious people. There'll be people who are just there for fun. But the mm -hmm. point is bringing people together. And the last part there is, I suppose, again, connected to the disability size. The more people that um, I come into contact with from different areas of disability, mm -hmm. gaming is also incredibly important to what they do in finding that connection with each other. Interesting. So, mm. mates, it's a... Um, it's quite a remarkable space. So yeah, so Microsoft put out a, um, a course this year. So I've done that. Um, I'm about to do another one through Udemy. So there's the, the good part is that there's a whole heap of education that you can do, yeah. um, either passive or or involved at your own time, at your own leisure, um, and then you can sit down and play with your kids. Hmm. 
then you can be competitive. You can change games. You can go to Rocket League. You can go to um, you can play FIFA, play NBA. We can't get away from the screens, mate. Well, that's it, and, and and it's 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 fascinating that once again you're there, right at the cutting edge of it all. Where where do you see the where do you see the future of it, Walt? It's like, are there going to be more people watching a, an esports Super Bowl than watch the Super Bowl? You know, where, where will there be a tipping point where the the gaming experience of a sport becomes more so than the sport? If there's definitely going to be a blended. There's definitely blended experiences running down the pipe at a thousand million miles an hour. Yeah. Um, because, like, the 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 capability in stadium or mm. at home is to connect the audience in some way, and we've now got all the tools to do it. We've got all the screens. Um, I think I sort of like. And now I've got the points of interest. So if I, I sort of break sport into three chunks. Lucky. So first of all, we sort of grew up, I'm older than you, but we sort of grew up where you would go and watch Richmond versus Collingwood because that's your tribe. Totally. And you'd go, and you'd go there for the contest. Yes. Right. You'd go there for the contest and that would draw you in. No problem at all. Hmm. Then we've had this sort of second wave come through this century. Let's call it the online, the online wave. And the online wave is where, okay, I mightn't go to that game, but I'll watch it because I'm playing super footy. Hmm. I've got footy tipping. Or I've had a bet, mm. so there's a there's an online element that connects you to the game. So you've got it. You know, now I see there's this third wave coming through, and and it's we've got a, an incredible local story emerging in Baslenka, where Bailey Smith, Western Bulldogs, his mm. social profile is bigger than the entire clubs. Yeah, and it's sure. not his name. It's not him. I'm sorry, mate, it's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's you know, but he's adopted the the tag Baslenka. Which is sort of like a gaming. Every gamer has two names. No one goes by their real, real name. Yeah. So he's created this image persona for himself. But the the point of this third wave now is that this sort of brings into the branding, entertainment, people interest. So there'll pe- there'll be an audience who'll go and watch a Bulldogs game, not for the Bulldogs. They just want to see Baslinka. Yeah. So so the future is so you've got all this. So then you've got all this attention on sport, and the the, the future is obviously sports on the calendar. It will happen. We've gone through the horrible experience of empty stadiums, but still found mm. a way to be connected. Um, but where this sort of shifts ahead into blended environments is, and it's probably one, we actually do have one good local example where the 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 A-League have copped a lot of flack over the years for doing a lot of things not quite right. Yet when they launched the E-League a number of years ago and the mm. E-League aligned to their A-League teams, mm. and the initial reaction was, oh, poo-poo, it's no good, it's too hard, it's not, not real football, blah, blah, blah. Um People like Sebastian Hassett wrote about it primarily saying, no, this is actually, this links a new age of fans who want to be part of the club, stronger to the club. Um, and they then found that the guys, some of the guys at the Western Cindy Wanderers who were bouncing up and down behind the goals, they're the guys who are playing the video games as well. Yeah. They're the same. same, same, same. <laughs> we can coexist, Lockie. We can work together. <laughs> um, Fantastic. So, so people want to find a way to keep connecting with their sport. And mm. naturally with devices, we can do it wherever we want, whenever we want, whether we're traveling, etc. cetera. Um, but then the last part too, is I think it's, I think sports got a really important opportunity ahead in delivering education um, yeah. around that doesn't need to be all just gameplay. Um, but yeah, you know, just to, I just want to give you, 
give give you a, give you just a, a stat here. Some of the yeah. this is a this is a coaching thing. It is a high performance. So, at the at the professional level within competitive esport, uh-huh. um, APM is actions per minute. Yep. Which actions per minute could be mouse clicks or keyboard commands, etc. Right. So a professional player, hmm. a professional player in esport. This is guys in top. This is like your Dustin Martins, your top level sort of mm-hmm. guy. A professional player peaks at around 300 to 500 actions per minute. Jeez. So you think about that from a coaching perspective. That's So that, that's information coming into the mind, yeah. registering, yeah. and then analyzing and then creating some sort of response to be within a team or or an opponent. Yeah. Um, so it's quite, quite remarkable. And... That is oh, remarkable. Like, uh, how many is that per second? My maths is no good, but there's 60 seconds in a minute, and you got yeah. 500 of these per minute. Yeah. So. Yeah. And this is a, this is a comparison. Real. So Cameron Smith, Melbourne Storm. Yeah. Yep. Great book. His book is amazing. Oh. But Cameron Smith wrote about how, and when you're the hooker in rugby mm. league, the average tackle takes about 3.8 seconds mm-hmm. before the ball's then live. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or or if you were facing, if you were facing John Fag, yeah, 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 yeah. Now think about the reaction time that you've got, or Moose, Moose Waterman. You, you think yeah. about the reaction time that you've got before you've got to play that that shot. Now some play, some players will do more on instinct, like Helmo. You know, stand back yeah. and just whack it, and off you, off you go. <laughs> um, others might be more, you know, Dicko might be more correct and play it a certain way. Um, but there's so much that conventional sport. It's, we're learning more about how it works on the other side as well. But fundamentally, it comes down to decision-making, hmm. communication, and, and interpretation. Um, and just to feel, I think, look, I'm, not a, I'm not a big motorsport expert, but mm-hmm. yeah, there is stories about how Red Bull have got drivers coming into their system. They've never driven a car. Yeah. They've, they've come out of esports or game. They've, they've got the skills they've developed in reaction, and then they reckon they can teach them when they get them into into a car situation, but the future yeah. blended situation, uh, metaverse now we're seeing virtual reality. You know, that's kind of the pipe a hundred miles an hour. It's not not big wires and goggles in a room having to go off. You can, I think recently we've seen Snoop Dogg in the sandbox doing his sort of thing, and then Paris Hilton yeah. did a drop with Gucci, and you know, it's 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 so so hard to sort of work all this out. But the kids are comfortable being either in that sort of second life where they're either participating or they're watching or they're learning from each other's. And just a, one last thing, I you know, started last year. Hmm. Um, eldest bloke was in grade three. And one of his excitement things in grade three last year was getting an iPad. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. Like our, he's now six, our six year old, he runs the iPad for the family. <laughs> so he hasn't touched, he hasn't touched the iPad in school yet. So school would be the main driver in life. Yeah, but he's on the op. He's he runs the Google account. He runs the um, Apple ID. Does he? Because yeah, we, we've made him. We've Fantastic. All got our, yeah. We've all got our own stuff. Yeah, like we've yeah. all got our own things. And we said, Ethan, we'll get a we'll get a new iPad for home. Mm. You're in control of it, right? He said, Yep, I'm in control. All right, off you go. So they're the skills they're going to need in the future. But yeah. when it comes to sport, sorry, the last thing is it. Even though we've got our tribal, um. Behave our, our tribal instincts. Oh yeah, kids these days, mate, they follow sport all over the world. Yeah, 
they know as much about LeBron James or Paddy Mills or Giannis than they do about Marcus Bontempelli, probably. Yeah. Mm. Um, because they can get access to it, can't they? They can see it. Mm. And apart from the official stuff, they can also see the behind the scenes um, as well. And they can follow it in their own time whenever they want. So future thing, I think probably the other biggest thing too is emerging through this is on where the blockchain's going and a lot of noise about cryptocurrency and we get all that. But the blockchain, you know, being able to create your own digital record mm. where you can safely engage with who you choose to and how you want um, and whether you do it in, in conventional currency or cryptocurrency is, you know, there's, there's some, some amazing success stories in Australia coming through Zed Run with, mm. you know, I think in our have, they've got 11,000 horses. Yeah. 11,000. That, that's an amazing <laughs> story. Like they, they picked up well under them, like um, Interact Sport as a business, never any venture capital, never any outside funding always self-sufficient on subscriptions. Really old world way of thinking, Lockie. You do something, yeah. get paid for it, you move on. Yeah, yeah. No, mate, it's money in the bank, mate, money in the bank. When they picked up $20 million on VC, and you sort of go, so these guys have landed fundamentally the biggest VC contribution for sports tech in this country ever, mm. and it's pretend horses. <laughs> yeah. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, 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 applaud, I'm, I'm clapping and applauding. I'm oh, clapping totally. I'm going, totally. Hey, so good. And then sort of looking up to Canberra and going, hey, Sport Australia, can't you guys like get your stuff together and work out that maybe there's something to learn from this? Well, I think they will. That's the thing. I think there's that growing emphasis around it, Waltz. Um, that's, uh... Yeah. I think also there's also the other thing with um, coming through with what we've seen with uh, the pandemic is the appetite for new media mm. and where we've seen platforms become more flexible, whether it be Instagram or TikTok or discord um or telegram now how these things all work or you know even the way that um you know, instagram has progressed into reels podcasts like mm. you know the amount of time i don't know the exact stats but the amount of podcast knowledge consumed compared mm. to what would have been john fain or neil mitchell or stan zamanek who are you know great yeah. in their own point in time um but people are now going to podcasts for longer form conversations to get their information mm. and almost in a way you know from the work that you've done with with mark war and peter jackson you get reference points to go back and check on and mm. you know it's a, it's a real source of it's not just entertainment it's information and learning that you can carry in your pocket with you and drag up at any sort of point point in time so i think the few the appetite for new media um and sport realizing that and there are some sports that do it super super well um you know, i reckon that I'm not, not necessarily a fan of the show, but with the AFL, that Adam Cooney after the match, you know, more mm. casual guys on the couch. You know, basically, two guys on the couch talking about Twitter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there'll be an audience yeah. that won't there. Like, yeah. that's, you know, if we go, that's to a degree, there's like the rusted on SEN crowd mm. that will be looking for something like that. And even one of the great credit, Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine with, um, mm. you know, uh, Rowan's footyology. footyology. Oh, mm. get, like, you know, really, in Rowan's case, drawing on an outstanding depth of journalism in his mm. career, mm. but able to go deeper in this format than just writing his 1,400 words that he needs to do to fit in the paper for, for tomorrow. So, mm. you know, new media is going to be, um, I call it new media, but mm. I suppose just, just try to find that balance between what's, um, what's official that comes out by the governing body against what's, who are those that are the, 
yeah, look, I grew up with the Ron Connolly, Carolyn Wilson, Mike Sheehan, these sort of, you know, who, who are the journalists there that are, that are coming through? Um, and then probably the last thing is just, and this is where it gets into NFT, crypto, metaverse sort of stuff is that, yeah, I use a KO example where we can log on to KO in the morning yeah. and we've got the choice. If we want to watch the whole Australia New Zealand match, yeah, we can. We can. Mm. But if we want to watch the three, the 30 minute micro thing, we can. If we want to go to the Cricket Australia website and watch the four minute highlights, we, we can. So if we want to go to YouTube and listen to Sam and Ian on the Grey Cricketer talk yeah. about, we, we can. So that so the, the, the choice yeah. for how you consume your media is 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 largely there. And um, uh, that's 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 where the future is is going. Fifty, here you go. Fifty seven percent of Australians right. daily play some form of game on a mobile device. 57 that's a big number when you think of the people that are at you know uh, sort of at, you know the demographic 80 and over that are perhaps less inclined to probably less inclined to be playing an online game no, no, so, no, no, no. they're playing scrabble oh an online version yeah okay so so this is where we get it this is not you and i shooters running around in the call of juice this is like scrabble or monopoly yeah. deal or yeah. there's you know there's sudoku yeah true Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's a pit. Like Nana, she's playing Sudoku. <laughs> Good on her. Um, Nana plays uses her iPad for Sudoku, booking her tea times at Spring Valley Golf Club and FaceTime Messenger. But that's her. But hey, that's okay. I can't do email. That. She can't do email. Hopeless on email. But yeah. <laughs> so the the screen becomes you know more connected in that sort of blended blended experience. The fear is that I hope we don't get over commercialized. Like. You know, yeah. a, a bit of a cricket Australia. Yeah, I know the ashes are on. Okay, I've had twenty-eight emails in the last three months <laughs> to tell me the ashes are coming. I've got that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to miss out, Walt. <laughs> so future things, and then yeah, just and where esports. I think you'll see greater collaboration from esports. There'll be there'll be those that will be integrated, like the league, as an example, yeah. like the AFL try to do, or there'll be those who look at it like an event. Like, okay, we've got this massive event on Australian Open or the Grand Prix. So, for, unfortunate failure, when the Grand Prix was cancelled two years ago because yeah. of COVID, yeah, there was actually a large eSport gaming section there for the fans to be part of yeah. um, that wasn't all just F1. It was a whole range of gaming yeah, ex- yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, so I think you'll find that that'll, that'll become more and more popular uh, ahead. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, hey, before we go, I want to just touch on the, the work you're doing in, in disability sports. Mm-hmm. Can you just tell us what the goal is, Walt, and, and I suppose how special it's been to you? And, and maybe, you know, if you've got a story or something that uh, for the listeners, just to give them a window into the impact that, that sport can make um, for our special needs friends. Yeah, so, so um, I've been fortunate now. I'm on my second project, and, and thanks to the Victorian government for arranging the funding for it. And please keep giving; it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because a lot of times these stories are not well known, and and, and part of the barrier there, Lockie, is because they're not seen or heard. Mm. And the first project called Show Us You Can Play was was designed around um, telling the stories. Initially, of four, we did six in the end. Um, mm. Episodes of those in the community that have some form of disability. Um, and what sport means for them, not just personally, but for their mental health, their well-being, their yeah. routine, and also showcase in it was it's a definite Victoria focus as a Victoria funding, but showcase in Victoria how tremendous and fabulous our resources and environment is to encourage that. So we did 
did six episodes, AFL wheelchair, wheelchair rugby, blind cricket, calisthenics, lawn bowls, and power chair football. And what that helped unearth in those episodes was like and a couple of good shouts here. So power chair football. So we're talking quadriplegics. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's really hardcore stuff where mm. they are. Um, yet a lot of them, it's a lot of the participants, it's how they've grown up and, and they just deal with it. Mm. Yet shout out here, Melbourne City Football Club, absolutely outstanding in their contribution and support yeah. um, into power chair football, which will also be a global World Cup event at the Women's World Cup in Sydney 2023. That's fantastic. Um, AFL wheelchair. So AFL wheelchair is a modified version. If you like the, the AFL component, it's pretty loose. You've got a handball, you've got goalposts. Mm. Um, interestingly, you don't actually need to be in a wheelchair to play. Oh. So you don't have to be a, a, a paraplegic yeah. to actually play. the Anybody can, can play yeah. if you've got some form of disability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, shout out there, Collingwood, Essendon, Hawthorne, St Kilda, Richmond, all completely behind it, a hundred percent. Every competition, every match, all the social it is is all inclusive. It is just an, an mm. incredible thing to watch. And and it gives so much to so many people. Mm. Um and then you see great stories like uh one of the bits we, we filmed, if I cried, please forgive me, but um mm. uh Raven do you know where Ravenfall is? Yeah, Raven, I know the name. Where is Ravenfall? Yeah, it's down at the back of Deer Park. Okay. Yep, at yep. the back of Deer Park. So it used to go there and sell steel like 30 years ago. And it's yeah. just an industrial area. But the K&K Calisthenics is a calisthenics dance studio in an industrial area, which has been there for a number of years. Beautiful. And every Sunday they have what they call open sessions and they welcome anybody from anywhere hmm. to come and put the get the costumes on, get the makeup and That's it. get the battens and, and whirl around. And it's such a friendly environment where... Um, for some of the participants, it's about it's their space of escape. It's their space of routine. It's where they feel safe. And the whole thing is really about just to enable people with a disability mm. to be active and confident that they are safe when they return to sport. Mm. So that's that's for them. Yet on the other side, it's also to help broadly educate the carers, the volunteers, and the communities mm. to learn from each other and embrace that we are different. Because quite a few of the players who are in the AFL wheelchair comp that that's drawn them in, yeah. quite a few of them actually are now working for AFL clubs. Yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> and because they can in, in, in some way. So it helps to, to meet so many, so many areas. And um, now uh, the, the second phase is what's called Project Phoenix. Um, and the best part about this is that so many in our team actually don't have a sport and recreation background. They do have a disability of, of, of some type and, yeah. and some stories are – you know, some stories are difficult because you come across people, lucky that they weren't born disabled. They yeah. now are because of an accident yeah. of, of some sort that we don't necessarily want or see in life. However, mm. um, that's been more focused on creating accessibility yeah. um, and just as we sort of rocket out of this sort of reset in life, just remembering that you know, there is some extraordinary 20-something percent of Victorians are battling some form of disability in, in their life. And mm. It might not be mobility. It might be visually, could be deaf, could be could be mental in, in, in some way. However, we do have to be more considerate mm. and aware that um, you know, the sport and recreation means not so much, sorry, not only so much in the experience, not about winning or losing, mm. but also around their life. It's a big thing to, to look yeah. forward to. So you know, there's a lot of um, part of the work there also is to create an alliance with, with so many you know, people like uh, Vic Sport and RecLink, AAA Play, Vic Health, who are all one, they do such wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work. Yet, 
I feel that if with the government's help, we can collaborate better together rather than all trying to do our own thing and, 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 yeah. and which is great, which is energy is wonderful. But if we can pick up those bits and pieces together, then um, it's going to make it a more a, a rewarding for everyone. And um, we had the awards last night at, at PwC and to see the, the smiles, the tears, um, uh, the awarding of Zoe's chair. So uh, there's a family whose daughter, unfortunately, terrible. And sometimes they're not good stories, okay? But yeah. a few years ago, daughter passed away, Zoe, and um, the family, as a legacy for Zoe, wanted to each year award a chair yeah. to someone who was coming into wheelchair rugby. Oh, beautiful. So they had their own, uh, own chair to work with and, and felt mm. comfortable. And these are the things which you won't read about in the back page of the Herald Sun. Yeah. But it's the good work that's being done out there. And um, so I would encourage, uh, just to finish with on that, yeah. Lockie, we had uh, two weeks ago when we were allowed out, um, credit Melbourne Uni, we were able to spend a day with the second year um, sports medicine students at Melbourne Uni. Nice. And we had an ed- what we call an education experiential program. Yeah. And so there was three blocks. So there was a wheelchair rugby. Yeah. Um, then there was the mobility accessibility with crutches and distortion of lights and then i did the visually impaired um stuff with, with the cricket so we had a, we broke the students up into small groups i think we handled 130 students over the whole course of the day <sighs> yet being able to the, the point was though that here's a, a wonderful group of students coming through and some will go on and they'll be you know with the australian rugby team or the mm. st kilda footy they'll be that's but there'll be others in life who will come across those with a disability of some sort and if, if we can help them yeah. have a broader education from the experience but also contribute to them that you know if you can give as a person if you're able to give one hour mm. one day or whatever in a year into yeah. that community you'll get you'll be it's so rewarding and it's so much appreciated yeah mm. that's that's the stuff and one thing shout out on he um uh very dear friend paul fink okay paul fink stroke survivor oh. uh who launched his podcast uh, a few weeks ago Oh, okay. And his first guest was Elisa Camplin. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. good idea. Uh, last week was Michael Klinger. Yeah. Um, but we'll do a shout-out because uh, yeah, part of Paul's have been encouraging him for years to, for his own development to use this forum Yeah, where it's safe to help his speech um, totally. on, on going. And he's yeah. now finally done it, got it out there, and ripping out some amazing stories with, with people um, and reaching a new audience that, that stuff would never, never be heard of. And, and shout, Jewel Topsfield at The Age wrote a story about it last week, so it was really good to hear as well. Fantastic. So Paul Fink. Paul Fink. All right, Paul we'll, Fink, we'll F-I-N-K. Search, F-I-N-K. Paul Fink, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Uh, yeah, we'll search that. And uh, well, the, maybe uh, putting it in Google will bring up The Age article <laughs> and we can get the backstory yep. as well. Ex-Macabi Ajax player, used to work for Sporting Pulse. and. Yeah. When he had his stroke, unfortunately, at the age of 34, he just started working for the AFL. Oh, in their tech department. He had his oh, dream job. Life change. That's okay. That's fine. Yeah. No, it's, it's all worked out fine. But the yeah. the loose story there is that um, <laughs> when it comes up to cricket, uh, one of my very, very first games at South Yarra where yeah. Interact Sport was made yeah. was us playing against Maccabi and Finky was playing for Maccabi. Isn't that fantastic? It all comes full circle. <laughs> he must have been a young lad then. He was like 15 years old or something. He was only a kid, a, yeah. Just a kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, ma- massive shout out to Paul Fink. Hey, Walt, um, is there an Instagram or something for for your program? Like, how do we sort of keep up to yeah, date fine. with it? Yeah, look, I, I tend to be more active on Insta, 
uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Andrew Walton X, you'll find me on those sort of things. Um, I don't do Facebook a lot anymore. Mm. Lucky, I sort of tend to watch, but I, I keep that off my phone because it becomes a bit too annoying with sort yep. of stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely those three three mediums, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, you'll find me. Um, and if not, just rock down to Brunswick Street Oval on a Saturday morning. And if I'm not throwing a cricket ball or kicking it, <laughs> kicking yeah. a footy, <laughs> not, not too not too hard to find. But um, hey, Keith, look, look, this is really good. And it's a credit to, so just a, a shout out to the ASTN. So just for transparency. So uh, when James Demetrius started this many years ago, mm-hmm. I was one of the original directors um, on the board mm-hmm. for the first five years. And, mm-hmm. and it was a really important thing to... Uh, develop a greater sense of collaboration amongst the industry because there was a lot of us going our own way, doing our own things and um, really pleased and proud of some of the relationships I've made through that. Um, to see it go through uh, some disruption, through some political cycles on the way, that happens, that's life. But mm-hmm. to come through stronger um, is, 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 is really so pleasing to see. And, and even just listen last week at the AGM and some of the metrics where you know, the gross value added from sports tech is $1.2 billion to the economy. It's a big bloody thing now. And the reference I gave before to the, you know, the, the education in esports and compare it to a conventional footy side. Well, mm. you know, the, the average digital team in a footy club now is anywhere between 12 and 20 people. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's a, there's, there's a lot of clubs out there. And that's, then you've got rugby and other things on, on top of that. Totally. So, you know, we've got a, We've got to use this as a as a way to, as a as a community to keep people coming through. Um, and now the ASTM with the learning hub about to be launched, and you know there's a career in sports tech if 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 you want it. And we are seeing, you know, I would encourage anybody that um, you know even touched on we don't need to, but you know, NFTs. But you know some of the local companies now, Zed Run, Alluvium, Immutable, Crypto Gaming United. These are all Australian innovations that have got mm. recognition on the world stage, and we might have a scale here but no different to we were three blokes who were trying to make a website for our club to carry scorecards <laughs> and now you're and global 20 years later it's carrying scorecards from all all over the world and live streaming and right. live scoring um so the, the the same principles are in place it's just a i suppose a condensed period of time being able to do it yeah. <laughs> and what it was and hook it into some venture then. capital dollars <laughs> well there's well Thanks. Yeah, there's not. Yes, that's another story. Well, but um, but the the knowledge out there, the intelligence out there, and hey, go, you know, kids, well, anybody of any any background, any gender, mm. no matter where you may be, any level of ability, uh-huh. um, you know, I've met some awesome guys through Power Chair Sports who are ripping plays of Halo. Yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> in, in in their teams, they're just known as their gaming name. <laughs> Yeah. They're not known as a guy who's a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, yeah. but they all they know is that that's him and he plays defense, he covers strategy, reads the maps. Yeah. That's his job. So anybody can be involved. Sport, sports for all is good, mate. Absolutely. Uh, and you're someone who, they're wise words, but they're informed by success and performance. You've oh. got the runs on the board to back it up. One, one final thing, just ASTM related as well. The, we are also fortunate that in this country now, um, mm. Since um, Anastasia Palazak was able to announce at Tokyo that Brisbane won the Olympic Games, yeah. So we have a clear target ahead in life mm. for so much of our country's activity, industry, energy, and effort. Um, and if you think mm. everyone's at, you know, the the athletes that will be there competing in Brisbane on the podium, world record, they're the eight, ten, eleven, twelve year olds now. Yeah. 
that they're the kids coming through who have not had two years of sport in some cases. Very true. So they've got to catch up. They'll get there. They'll be fine. Mm. But around that, around that, we've now got this you know, really strong impetus mm. in this sector, in this country, to be the best we ever, ever have been. So, you know, we're seeing venture capital come in. We're seeing government spend come in. We're seeing um, old people like us who have sort of done the early yards sort of maturing, but the newer ones sort of coming through. Mm. We're seeing the Z runs emerging out of nowhere. This is the best time to be in sports tech, Lockie, is, is now. And thank you for how you're doing these interviews in the podcast space in new media. Um Making it accessible for all of us. Thank you. Oh, no, mate. Thank you for coming on. I'll quote a, a very wise man to finish. And the wise man is Andrew Walton. <laughs> Connection is the great untapped advantage. And you've made an art form over a lifetime of doing that, Waltz. Um, I love what you bring to the table. Uh, you bring that great human aspect to technology. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, Andrew Walton, thank you very much for your time. Lockie, absolute pleasure. And... Go Tigers. <laughs> Go Pies. <laughs> You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Uh, my favourite time of the week to welcome on board Hayley McAdam from 3KND Indigenous Radio. Hayley nominated as the best new talent on radio and a special achievement award as well with the uh, radio awards coming up uh, most promptly. Uh, you can catch Hayley every Tuesday between 11 and 12 for On Track with Hayley McAdam and then also every Friday night from 10pm through to midnight with Turned Up with Hayley Mack playing all the great party starting anthems, highlighting Indigenous Indigenous music and the great Indigenous music artists. You can catch Haley on 1503am in Melbourne and then 3KND digital uh, radio all around the world and 3KND.org.au. Haley Mack, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. <laughs> it's good to be back. <laughs> hey, great to have you on. Hey, um, now, who are we highlighting this week? Yes, so this week we have um, an amazing woman. Her name is Lydia Williams, born the 13th of May in 1988. She's a Noongar woman, so her dad's from Noongar country of WA, and her mum is actually American. Um, yeah, but she is an amazing talent. So she spent um, a lot of her time as a child in Kalgoorlie mm. um, until she moved to Canberra, and that's where she kind of discovered the love for soccer. Um, so she grew up with AFL and basketball, but in Canberra, they didn't really have AFL or the girls didn't play AFL. So that's when she discovered um, soccer and she really liked it. So she plays currently um, as a goalkeeper for Arsenal in England's Football Association Women's Super League. Mm -hmm. um, and she's also on the women's national team for the Matildas, which is awesome. Um, she has been named Women's Football of the Year um, through the PFA for 2011 and 2015. Mm. And she's also been on the Women's League Team of the Season for 2016. Um, she's been awarded Goalkeeper of the Year 
which was back in 2010 and also 2016. She was in, inducted into the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Sports Hall of Fame, uh, where she earned her first cap for the Australian national team um, known as the Matildas. At the young age of 16, she was actually um, awarded that. Yeah. She's also written a few children's books, which is mm. I thought is really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's written a few, and they're all based on her own kind of life story. Yeah. yeah I love it. It, it. Incredible. Absolutely. And as you said, it made her debut for Australia at the age of 16. It's unbelievable to play for your country at 16. Uh, back in 2005, I, I love, I, I read a bit where she said, watching the uh, Sydney Olympics, you know, she's about 11 or 12 or so, watching that, watching Kathy Freeman win is what inspired her to want to, you know, represent her country. Five years later, she was. <laughs> like, that's pretty phenomenal. Age 16. Wow. Uh, yeah, amazing. I can't even remember what I was doing at the age of 16, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy that um she you know debuted at the age of 16 and like you said mm. she watched up watched kathy freeman growing up and obviously her in the olympics and kind of seen that as a you know role model and thought hey i want to do that yeah. which and what's even more great is that now she's doing it as an adult as a you know um international soccer player and the achievements that she has she's now doing that for the younger generation yeah. um, which is cool i watched a few videos of her um she must have went back to the uk and she was doing i don't know like little camps mm. with um some girls which was really good and talking about her book and how she wants to inspire the young younger generation yeah, yeah. fantastic Bloody oath, it certainly is. And well, I saw that book um, that she has uh, written. One of them, at least, I saw uh, is called Saved with a couple of exclamation marks afterwards. Um, so, yeah, if you're listening, you've got young kids, or maybe even if you are not uh, got young kids, but you yourself want to read a picture storybook, because uh, they are beautiful, beautiful illustrations and, and great messages always in kids' books too. Uh, Saved, yeah, by Lydia Williams. Definitely one to look out for. Maybe it could be a Christmas present. So, yes. Yeah, very well. Could be. Thanks for giving me that idea. I'm actually <laughs> yeah. yeah, for little, you know, little, uh, you know, family, uh, you know. Well, little, yes. This yeah, will... I've got, I've got a lot of nieces and nephews and cousins and yeah, grandchildren even. <laughs> oh wow, fantastic! <laughs> yeah, big family. But um, yeah. Speaking of family, yes, this is a good I... segue, Hales. This is why you're nominated for best new talent <laughs> on radio. It's all about yes. the segue. You've got us from one topic to the other, seamless. What is this oh, you, next? Topic? You helped me with it. Ah. But um, yeah, no. So basically, I was talking to uh, a friend, mm. and we were kind of talking about the you know family dynamics and the systems in like a westernized way. How you've got grandparents. Um, you know, parents, but also you've got your aunties, you've got your great aunt, mm. great uncle, but then you also have um, like first, second and third cousins. <laughs> and then also like first cousin and then like second removed. Yeah. And yeah, first cousin, third removed, yeah. which is, yeah, funny. And I was just like, it was funny because when she first was talking about it yeah. and she was like, oh yeah, like my great aunt. And I'm like, Wait, what? 
And then... <laughs> she, she must be really good. She's great. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, I'm like, well, I've kind of heard these terms before, like watching English movies, yeah. but I wasn't really sure what it meant. And then I'm like, no, if that's... Because I believe your great aunt, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but um, your great aunt is like your grandparents' siblings? Is yes, that correct? correct, correct. Yes. So... That, yeah, they were like, oh, my great aunt. And I'm like, no, that's your grandmother. Oh. That's like your, like, like for me, because growing up, yeah. I'm like, well, if you say aunts, that gives the impression that they're the same generation as your auntie, which they're not, they're older. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, why would you say the word aunt? Because it uh. gives that impression she's your auntie when she's, you know, like an older generation. Mm. Um. Yeah, which is funny. So it's funny how you've got that, um, like the westernised way, then uh, you've got like the Aboriginal kind of way. Yeah, tell um, us about that. Yeah, how does yeah, it, yeah, so, well, really, when I think about it, there's three ways. So there's okay. the Western way. Yep. And then there's the, like, the proper traditional Aboriginal way. Yeah. Um, and then there's like a mixture of both. Mm. So, for example, <laughs> um, I've got, so my sister, she's got kids. Yeah. She's got two nephews, uh, two boys and one girl. So they are my nephews and my niece. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, they also call me mum because, well, me and obviously that's my sister. Like, yeah. you know, we're very close. Um, so they got to call me mum in that kind of Aboriginal way. But then in the traditional proper way yeah. really they are my grandchildren really because yes and you're probably your mind is probably going this like is what interesting so because in aboriginal kind of kingship systems yeah. and every tribe has this we have something called skin name yep which um gets given to us you know, when we're born or whenever, but um, basically our, so our grandmother, uh -huh. mother, um, and then their child, and then, you know, the grandchild. So four skin names. And then once it gets to the grandchild, it goes back, the skin name goes back. So when they have a kid, it goes back to the grandparents, yeah. if that makes sense. I'm with you. Which is like a cycle, and that's how it goes. So foreskin names, and yeah, that's kind of how it goes. So they, my niece and my nephews, they take the same skin name as my grandparents. Oh. So my 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 nana, my papa. So basically, I call them. Hey, they my, um, you know, my they got. Yeah, I got to call them um, like my grandparents, kind of thing. Oh wow. That's so, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, which is, yeah, it's, yeah, pretty interesting. Um, and like some people will be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but No, I love it. Yeah, so, and it's funny because they are actually, even my, the eldest, my nephew, he's like an old soul. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. He's very smart. Like when I talk to him, I feel like I'm just talking to an adult. Yeah. He's um he's 10 years of age, but huh? he's very old and you know just very relaxed, chilled and patient and and that's why I laugh at him. I'm, I I call him <laughs> Olgerman 
which is like a term that like an Aboriginal term for like, you know, an old man. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why, because he's got the same skin name as his grandparents. Yeah, yeah. Which I think that's why he's got that influence of um yeah, having like that old soul yeah, kind of thing. Totally. Yeah. Well, so, shout out to Olgerman. Shout out to him. Yes. Yes, the young lad. Uh, yeah, well, I wish you a Merry Christmas and to your siblings as well. You know, you're, um, that's um, that's so cool. And what about, so for, for Christmas, Haley, will you all sort of try and get together a bit or, yeah, what's the plans? Yeah, for sure. I'm trying to, um, well, I have to go to Alice to do some stuff, but mm. I also want to go to Darwin, but my as who I was talking about, my nephews and my niece and sisters, they're in Brisbane. So I'm also wanting to go there. Um, yeah, we'll see how things go and how much money I'll have left. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to buy a lot of presents. Oh, I could imagine. I could imagine. Um, and then I, I hear some news that you've got a huge hosting gig coming up at the Tamworth Country Music Festival. So literally, you're just going to be, after so long of being in lockdown, you're going to be like, you're going to Alice Springs, which I'm jealous of. I would love to get back to Alice. <laughs> then you're going to Darwin. Then you're going to hopefully Brisbane. And then Tamworth. Then you come back Tamworth. to Melbourne. So you're going to be, yeah, racking up the yeah, frequent it's flyers. it's going to be crazy. But I'm looking forward to it after being in lockdown. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. Oh, magnificent stuff, Hayley. Well, um, thanks so much. Um, we hope to have you next week on the show, um, but uh, your contributions right throughout um, the last couple of months have just been wonderful, Hayley. You know, we just love having you on. Uh, thank you so much for your time again. And make sure you catch Hayley Mack on 3KD Indigenous Radio and the whole team there. G-Man leading from the front beautifully, 1503 a.m. in Melbourne, 3kd.org.au, online, anytime. Hayley Mack, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Well, that wraps us up for this week. Thank you very much for your company here on Sports Cutting Edge. Uh, all thanks to the Australian Sports Technologies Network, powering sport through innovation. You can check them out at astn.com.au. We'll catch you next week. You've been listening to Sports Cutting Edge for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. For more, jump online at astn.com.au.